0: If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your Bibles either way. Turn to Exodus 33, verse seven. For leading us this morning, uh, we're grateful for the chance to sing praises to the Lord. I'm going to also just mention that if you did not, if you were not here last Sunday night, uh, you um, you were you missed just a wonderful blessing. The uh, a group from our church have worked hard and did a drama presentation based upon the book of job and uh, it was amazing and um, uh, it's it's live streamed so you can catch it and watch it uh, in the archives of our live stream and so i would encourage you to do that just a wonderful retelling of the story of job and uh, shout out to so many people that worked hard Um, uh, to uh, put that together, Um, and uh, people up front, but also people in back, and so just did a lot of things to make all of that possible, and so just want to commend that to you and thank them publicly for the work that they did. It's on page 73. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, chapter 33, I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And uh, I'll try to finish the chapter, and then we'll pick up a couple of verses in, verse, in chapter 34 after that. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Now, Moses used to take uh, the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go ...out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up... ...and each would stand at his tent and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend... ...and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses... And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the, temp, the, of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, "'See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said,'' I know you by name, and and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider that, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you. I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There, there is no word like your word, and we would now pray that your word that was etched and penned through Moses by your Spirit, would, that your Spirit would now be at work in, in our midst, that you would enable us to see wonderful things from your word, uh, that you would create new desires and um, directions in our lives because of your word. May your word transform us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things I want us to look at briefly. There's a lot in play in this chapter as well as chapter 34. We'll read a part of chapter 34 in a minute. In fact, my, my plan is to circle back around next week and take another look at this passage from a different vantage point. But But for now, this morning, I I just want us to narrow in and zoom in our focus on what's in play between the Lord and Moses here in in this reading, and as well as we'll see in a minute from chapter 34. Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, and the last chapter was not a pretty chapter, Um, The the people of Israel rebelled against the Lord, creating an idol and began to worship the idol. And the Lord sent Moses back down. And before the dust was all settled that day, um, 3,000 lives were killed, taken, by an act of the Lord's judgment because of their idolatry. And I think Moses is a bit reeling. He he pled and interceded for for Israel, at that moment, the Lord had threatened to wipe them all out because of their little shenanigan. And yet, the, Moses pleaded and uh, pleaded to the Lord, the Lord's own reputation and the Lord's own faithfulness. And as a result, uh, the Lord uh, did spare. But, the, but Moses is, is a bit, in his mind, things are still swirling. Is the Lord going to go forward with us? And it's in this context that we're zoomed in on this particular conversation that the Lord is, that Moses is having with the Lord. And, the, and, and, and it culminates in a particular request that Moses makes of the Lord. Two things I want to think about in terms of this request. First of all, the request is to see the Redeemer's glory. And we'll pick that up in verse 18 in a moment. But the second thing we'll look at, and we'll really need to go to chapter 34 and read a couple of verses there to see that. The second point that I want us to look at this morning is the response that spoke the Redeemer's glory. So the request is that he would see the Redeemer's glory. And what I want you to take away is that what turns out the request was to see the Redeemer's glory. The answer will be to hear Something of the Redeemer's glory. First of all, the request. He just, just kind of pops it in there in verse 18. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Verse 19 is the Lord's intent. Now, doesn't the, 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 full, the full implementation of this answer in verse 19 doesn't come into play until chapter 34 in a couple of verses, but in verse 19 is the Lord's immediate response to Moses' request. And Moses uh, Moses is told, um, the Lord says to Moses in verse 19, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, and I will be Gracious to whom I will be gracious to, and I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. Now, what is Moses asking for? What is Moses wanting to see? He wants to see something of the Lord. He's he's been talking to the Lord all the way back in chapter 3 and 4 when the lord appears to moses and speaks to him through the burning bush the, that moses has had this interaction this relationship this conversation with the lord and, and now moses is completely um well, I think he's very confused as to where things are going henceforth. He's he's very concerned, as we've read about. Have I found favor in your sight? Are are you going to go forward with us, or are you going to like kick us out and send us out on our own? Because because if you're not with us, we don't want to go no further. And he's very he's very um, unsure that the Lord is going to travel with them, and so in this context, he wants to see the Lord, Lord show up, show yourself. Now, he's appeared to Moses through the burning bush earlier, much earlier in the book of Exodus. He has, we've just seen, uh, as we've read in verse 11, for instance, of chapter 33, thus the Lord used to speak with uh, to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, I would suggest to you in verse 11, when it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face that he didn't, there, there was no visual appearance of the Lord in that experience, in that encounter, it, it, but yet it was very personal. It was very, if you would, intimate if, in a sense. Um, it, was a, it was a face-to-face type of friendship that was, and here's the key, that was auditory and not visual. So on the one hand, it's kind of a misnomer. Face-to-face means that I'm present, you're present, we're seeing each other, and we're talking, and our faces are looking at each other while we're talking. Um, and, uh, but but in, this, in this context, I don't think it's quite that literal of it being played out. Moses knows that the Lord is present with him. It's a sense that he has, he perceives that the Lord is present, not that he literally physically sees the Lord, but nonetheless, he knows something of the presence of the Lord with him in a very personal way, and the Lord is verbally talking to him. He can hear words. He's not just hearing a voice in his head, but he, but he is hearing words that emanate outside of his head that comes from God himself. And, and then, so that is a very personal encounter that is described here as a face-to-face kind of friendship. I would suggest that Moses is asking for more. I, 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 don't, I don't want merely... I don't think he's being disrespectful. I don't think he's being. Um, I don't think he's belittling what he's experienced already. I just think he wants more. He he's he loves what he's experienced already, and he wants more. You ever had one of those lemon freezes at Six Flags? Well, after you have one, what do you want? You want another one. You want more, you know. Well, I, I think he wants more of this good experience that he's just had. He says, so he says, show me your glory. I think, he, he wants to move this thing from an auditory experience to a visual experience. And the Lord's response is, my goodness is going to go before you. Again, I would suggest to you that that's not even, again, fully a visual encounter. For the emphasis that he answers with in verse 19, while he says, I will let my goodness pass before you, he uh, explains later what he's going to do to even mitigate that. Uh, But he says, but I will proclaim my name before you. And he says the name that he's going to proclaim before him, the Lord. The name that Moses learned about who the Lord is back in Exodus chapter 3. I am the Lord. I am what I am. And he plays off that, uh, that notion of I am what I am. And, and he couples with the declaration of his name by saying, and, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. Back in, in chapter 3, he learned something of the absolute independence and freedom of the Lord. I am who I am. None of you all define me. I define myself. I defi- reality doesn't Define me, I define reality. God is absolutely free. He's the freest being in the universe. No one, nothing, thwarts his plans. No one, nothing, defines him. No one and nothing controls him outside of his own nature and his own being. Amen. And in that context, that same playoff of words, and you know what? My mercy is, is, is mine to give and my grace is mine to give. No one plays my hand or no one puts me in a corner. No one backs me in a hole. Uh, I, I, I give mercy when I want to give mercy. I give grace when I want to give grace. Why? Because I am who I am. And he says now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some more auditory response here i'm 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 going to show you my glory by allowing you to hear my proclamation of me so is the lord answering moses's question or not well i think he is i think he's answering the lord answering moses's question lord i lord i want to see something well i'll tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to tell you something And he explains next why it is that he's going to tell him something rather than show him something. Look at verse um, 20 of chapter 33. But he said, You cannot see my face. Now, again, we've already had some of that language in play back in verse 11. Where, where Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, and yet what I explain to you there is that the emphasis is upon this personal, intimate, auditory proclamation or conversation, a verbal interchange, a verbal, uh, intimate friendship. Uh, between the Lord and Moses. And, and yet what Moses is asked for is, I don't want just auditory, I want visual. I, I want to see you. And, and, and now the Lord's answer in verse 20 is, but you cannot see me. We cannot switch from a, a proclamation to a visual. We cannot switch from an auditory to a visual. Why? Why can't we switch? For man shall not see me and live. You and I, and this is a very humbling, flattening reality. You and I do not have the ability to see a visual of God and live to tell about it, because we're creatures. We we don't. It would be like taking just an ordinary cheap latex balloon uh, and and going to the gas station and taking a high-powered, high-pressured air hose and and yanking that, turning that thing full blast and filling up that little ordinary latex balloon. What's going to happen in about three or four seconds? Yeah. That balloon does not have the capacity to contain that much pressure. In a similar way... You and I are a little bit more than balloons, uh, but in a similar way, uh, comparing God to us, maybe the analogy does stick, and that is that, that you and I do not have the capacity to take an unlimited glimpse of God. We can have a sense of his presence, and we want that. We want to know that the Lord is with us. We want to feel his presence. We want to know that he is with us. Um, and, and yet what, 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 what Moses is going to be told is that the, what I've been doing up to this point, uh, I have been talking to you. I, I have been making a proclamation to you. And you know what? That's all you can handle. There is a wide chasm between creator and creature. God is not a larger version of us. He is something altogether different. Now, it is true we are made in His image. But what is not true is we get to turn around and make Him in our image. He is not a larger version of us. He's something... Altogether different. A full visual face to face appearance from the Lord would destroy Moses and any other human creature. So the Lord is going to show Moses as much of himself that he knows Moses can bear. This is a kindness of the Lord. And it says, it says, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you. And even in this act of revelation, guess what it's doing? But the goodness of the Lord is flowing from the Lord to Moses, even in how Moses is going to receive a proclamation from the Lord. I, I can, I, oh, I, I, I can, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. I can show up and show you myself. That wouldn't be good for you. And yet he, he will have an auditory friendship with Moses. So he explains further in verses uh, tw- uh, 21 and 22. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place uh, by me where you shall stand on a rock. So I'm going to put you on the rock. And then I'm going to put you in a, a cleft or an opening of the rock, verse 22. And, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. So is, as, I, as I'm passing by, I, I, you're going to be st- stuck over in the corner there, and my hand is going to be shielding you. And then after I pass by, I'm going to remove my hand and uh, you'll see a glimpse of my backside. Now, Now, another thing we've got to parse out here is on the one hand, God is spirit. He's not limited by a body like you and I are. That's why he can be everywhere at the same time. And, and so what we're seeing here is a bit of a metaphorical description. The Lord doesn't literally physically have a hand. The Lord doesn't literally physically have a face. The Lord doesn't literally physically have a backside and yet each of those are pictures to tell us something about the activity of the Lord. That, that seeing the Lord face-to-face does speak of a, a sense of intimacy. When when two human beings are able to look at each other in the eyes face-to-face, is there not a more intimate encounter between human beings than that? The description of the Lord's hand is describing the lord's protective custody that he's going to again keep Moses from imploding as as a sense of his presence passes by and and, and then as the Lord then removes his hand uh, th- then Moses will be if you would be giving a, get, given a an indirect uh, limited perception of the glory and the goodness of God almost if you would uh, you know, when you see the, the planes flying over at 40,000 feet, or I don't know, I'm not a pilot, I don't know, but they're way up there. Um, and um, and then you see the white streaks. Now, of course, you know it's hard to know really. Uh, I'm a, I'm enough of a conspiracy sp- conspiracy theorist that I'm not sure what's in those contrails. But uh, but anyway, you see the contrails. The, the 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 and some of those linger up there for quite a long time. You what's up in there and those things. But anyway, um, in in a similar way, we are. I think the imagery that we're being told is we're something something of the Lord's contrails if you would, is, is what Moses is going to catch a glimpse of. All right, so that's, that's all that's being explained here in, um, in terms of what chapter 33 is, is saying to us in terms of Moses himself and the Lord. Much more is going on, much more about Israel and the Lord, but, but for now, now let's skip over and see the second point, and that is, so the request was, I want to see your glory. The response is um, something about what the Lord is going to speak or to say about his glory. And to pick up there, look at verses 4 through 7 of chapter 34. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took his uh, hand, two tablets of of the stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and now here's, the, here's, here's the, what's in play that picks up in particular between the Lord and, the, and Moses from chapter 33. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. There at the end of verse 5, which you see the correlation between what he said he was going to do back in chapter 33, verse 19 and following. He proclaimed his name. Then, uh, verse 6 of chapter 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Remember what he said in chapter 33? I'm going to let my goodness pass before you and I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord. Well, what he intended to do, what he stated he was going to do in chapter 33, he's now doing that in chapter 34. And the Lord passed before him, verse 6 once again of chapter 34, and proclaimed, The Lord! The Lord! Again, a play off of the Lord's first response to Moses back in chapter 3. Well, who shall I tell him sent me? What is your name exactly? We see that in play once again. The Lord! The Lord! And then what does he do? Again, this is all under the rubric of, "I, I got a favor. Would you show me yourself? And, and as the as a sense of the presence of the lord passes by we what, with the real emphasis on what's in play here is a proclamation the request was visual the answer the response is auditory the the lord the lord a god merciful and gracious Remember, he started out that way uh, in terms of his answer back in chapter thirty-three. I I will proclaim my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious upon whom I am gracious, and I will be merciful upon whom I am merciful. And now he restates that. He adds some more to it, but 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 for now, what we are seeing is that as the Lord is answering Moses's request, the the what the Lord is doing is he is doing what he said he would do in the last chapter. Uh, the Lord is carrying out what he said he would show Moses. And, and, and yet, what, what I want you to catch on the wordplay here is that what he is showing Moses is words. How the Lord, in chapter 34, is showing Moses' glory, which was the request in chapter 33, is he is showing glory through speaking words. This is an auditory, not a visual revelation. Now, have I beat that into the ground enough? I say that because our broader culture, even our Christian subculture, that there's a there's a heightened sense of notions of spirituality today in our culture. Many of them are fruit loopy and goofy, but a part of that is just simply a notion of I want to see God. And people, yeah, you know, like you, you don't even understand what you're asking, dude. I mean, you know. We, we, we have adapted into a culture that something is not real if it's just words. If for something to be real, it's got to be visually seen. And then we wonder why our relationship with the Lord is so weak and flimsy. We wonder why our, all of our big talk of spirituality is so materialistic and superficial, because we, we don't even understand what's in play here. Here is ground zero of the conversation of when you want to see how glorious our God is. If you want to see that, you've got to listen. Seeing glory comes through the medium of hearing words, which is a really scary reality for a culture that is highly illiterate. You don't know words, you'll never see glory. You don't read words, you'll never see glory. You don't listen to words, you'll never see glory glory, the showing of glory, comes through the hearing of words. Now, we could narrow that, and particularly what we're talking about is the showing of God's glory comes through the hearing of God's words. There's not a in run. There's not a plan B. There's not a back door. You say, "Lord, I just want to see your glory." I but I don't have time to study your word. You don't have time to see the glory of God in other words. Keep the dots connected here. That's that's this is the takeaway of what we're talking about. It is through the hearing of this proclamation. Uh, The Lord, the Lord, a gracious and merciful God. We are here at the very core DNA of who our God is. That he wants you to see his glorious goodness in first of all knowing that his relationship to you and I is rooted and founded and grounded in the fact that he is merciful and gracious towards you. Oh, he is just. Huh. But do you realize, if he just played the justice card with you, there would be no relationship with you? Because justice would leave you condemned. Justice would leave you still under the curse of sin. Justice would leave you cut off from God. You see, there's a lot of talk about justice in our culture today And it's downright scary because it's a conversation of justice that's totally disconnected from a conversation of mercy and grace. The world doesn't have a category of mercy mercy and grace. The fundamental core of God's relationship with you is rooted in His mercy and His grace. In other words... And I don't know, smarter people than me can figure out and sort out nuances of how to define these terms, but just on its simplest level, I know it leads a lot to be lacking, but but mercy and grace is rooted in notions of, A, you are not receiving from the Lord what you deserve. B, you are actually getting from the Lord what you've not earned. Now, does that do anything for you? Yeah. Okay, he's gracious and merciful. Now, what else we got going on today? Huh? Do, do, do you see that? On the one hand, seeing the glory of God comes through words. On the other hand, you can, you can hear words and not full, feel the full purport the impact of those words do you realize that the fact that god is merciful and gracious gives us hope it gives us life it gives us blessing it gives us god himself if he if if he had no dna of mercy and and graciousness well but he does and he wants you and I to see how beautifully glorious he is by speaking these words to us. You don't want to know who I am? You, you want to see my glory marinate on how merciful and gracious I am. You marinate on that until you have your own eureka moment, until the Spirit of God says, Thank you, Lord! You are gracious and merciful to me. Stay with these words until your attitude goes from meh to, Lord, we praise your name. You are a gracious and merciful God. That's really what you see exploding in the book of Psalms. The the book of the, the Psalms is so full and replete of, 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 this, of these statements that we find here in Exodus 34 that is unfolding and proclaiming the nature and character of God. This is the kind of God that our God is. And so the psalmist is exploding. He sees the glory and the beauty in hearing these words. And that is a launch code that ignites praise in his heart and in, over his lips for the Lord. And so since God is merciful and gracious, he goes on, um, uh, let's see, where am I at? Verse six, the Lord is gracious and merciful, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Now, you get part of here, Moses is trying to figure out, the Lord, uh, you've just said earlier that we are all a stiff-necked people, and uh, I take that to mean that since you're holy and we're stiff-necked, you ain't going no further with us. Well, since God is fundamentally gracious and merciful, He is patient. He's slow to anger. Does it mean He's incapable of anger? Every act of the Lord that entails His anger is not an act informed by his impatient flying off the handle, but it is informed by his just response, his thoughtfulness, his calculatedness. So he does know how to get angry. But boy, since he is drenched in mercy and grace, he is not easily provoked <laughs> how is it that god can tolerate me he's not easily provoked how is it that god could tolerate well you're in church i can't really put you down like that can i it, but so he's slow to anger but but, he, but he's abounding in other words, gushing, overflowing, is abounding, overflowing. It's just filled to the brim and 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 and, and splashing over the top abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. His, his steadfast love, his, his high degree of loyalty and devotion and warmth to his people is never stopping. It's never giving up. It is unbreakable. It is always and forever flowing toward his people. He's merciful and gracious and since he's merciful and gracious, how does he act? Well, he acts toward us in a way that's patient. And he acts toward us in a way that is constantly spewing forth more love and faithfulness. And, and then he filters that down. He goes, so, okay, so, so... So what? So what's in play here since he's all of that? That's nice. Verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. I know we've touched on this before, but this is so fundamental to understanding the nature of Jesus' work on our behalf. We we just got to pick it up again this this overflowing gushing steadfast love of god filters down into the fact that he and he keeps that steadfast love he He just keeps pressing it in. He keeps just pouring it forth. He keeps showing it. He keeps placing it there upon us. And in so doing, he grants pardon to us. And and I don't know why fully, but I think it's meant to just be an all-encompassing thing. What does he pardon? He pardons transgression and iniquity and sin, which are just three different pictures of describing sin, and I take that to mean just the short and skinny rendition of that is that um, he just, he delights to forgive all kinds of sins. Yeah. He doesn't just say, now, now these, are, these are the little sins, and I'm good with that. We can just kind of like forget that and let it go. But these big sins over here, now, we're going to have to make big, big, big fuss out of that. Which is what our culture does. Our culture discriminates. Our culture says this is a big sin, and this is not that big of a sin. But every culture does that. In the 1950s, in the 1950s, a culture in America, it was okay to be a racist. You just couldn't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Now our culture has flipped the morals on its head, and and if there's one thing that you can't do in America today, you can't be a racist. Okay, I'm with you on that. But if there's one thing you should do in America, you should sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you figure out whichever one you want. In other words, any culture picks and chooses its own morality. That's why we so desperately need the wisdom of Scripture because we'll cherry-pick. We'll decide for our own self what's right in our own eyes, and it'll shift from culture to culture. And yet, and the Scripture itself describes to us a morality of what is right and what is good and what is just and what is beautiful, and it fits all cultures, all peoples for all times. And yet, what, wherever we do fail in the sight of God, what He's saying to us is whether you call it an iniquity or a transgression or a sin... I know how to forgive it. And yet he then throws that one zinger in there, but who will in no way clear the guilty? Which in is it? Does God forgive sinners? Or does he not let our sin go unpunished? Praise God that Jesus has come and has shown us the glory of God in how God is able to pull off what doesn't make a lick of sense to us because either you're gonna forgive me of my sin or you're gonna punish me for my sin but are you gonna do both and how God graciously gloriously does both is through his son Jesus Amen. for at the cross Jesus the perfect Lamb of God who committed no sin, who fulfilled every nook and cranny of righteousness, the only human, yet he was human, yet he was God, the only human who ever lived a perfect life went to the cross being the only one qualified to do what he was about to do at the cross. And there at the cross, he substituted himself. He took upon himself our sin, the sins of any and all who would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He took upon himself our sin and he made a full, final, and forever payment for that sin in his body on that cross. So how does this happen? How is it that someone like you or me could be forgiven and yet someone like you and me not have our sins go unpunished? Here's how it happens. It happens because Jesus has been put forward in our place. And so these words that describe how glorious our God is are words that were put into action for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus glorified God on the cross by fulfilling these words, that we, in fact, have a merciful and gracious God uh, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who shows steadfast love to thousands, who forgives our iniquity and transgression and sin, and yet who in no way lets the guilty go unpunished. He has done this beautifully, wonderfully, gloriously, in the death of his son. So turn to Christ. Trust only in Jesus. And in seeing who Jesus is, that you might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. One who grants you and I pardon. One who takes our punishment in our place. Turn to Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for... Him being the one who has embodied these very words of what a glorious God you are. We're thankful that you have declared who you are by proclamation of your word. We're thankful that your word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld your glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth and we're thankful that it is at the cross even as Jesus said to you in John 17 father glorify yourself in this hour even as you glorify me father we see the glory and beauty of yourself in how you have put forward your son to die in our place thank you father you are merciful you are gracious You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. You are a God who shows steadfast love to thousands. You are a God who pardons our iniquity and transgression and sins. You are a God who does not let our sin go unpunished. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song together.